0: It is a good season. We need to remind ourselves that this is still a season of hope. This is still a season of joy. This is still the glory of Christmas. And so we're going to focus on Jesus Christ and all he's done for us and allow him to ignite the passion. And maybe for some of us, reignite the passion for Jesus Christ and the joy we have in following him. So we are in part Of Hope on the Horizon. And today's title is Light is Reaching for You. Light is Reaching for You. Some of us um, remember those not very Instagrams called Christmas cards. And uh, we picture things on the front of those cards. And If you were just to picture from your memory Christmas cards, uh, something comes to my mind, maybe yours too, the white Christmas in a mountain cabin with lights inside and smoke coming out and just kind of warms you up especially when you know it's decades since you've had a white Christmas and you have to kind of go away to get to some white to remember that white falls in some places and and so but there's something about pictures that warm your soul and warm you up and bring joy and so this is not quite the white Christmas this was our pursuit of a white Christmas i want to show you a picture that still warms me up and it's hard to see here, but there's three dogs in front of a fireplace after they enjoyed their white post-Christmas snow romp. And uh, my, grand, my, my dog and two grand dogs actually are pictured there, and it warms me up just to think about that crackling fire in and a getaway and just enjoying that total peace that I picture uh, these three dogs just out because they're playing so hard in the snow. They weren't the only ones playing, and so we were enjoying that respite and getaway. There's something about pictures that does something for us. So, what about where we are now? Are we only grasping at pictures? I have a question to kind of get us thinking a little bit about where we are right now, and what if, or what do you do when you live in a world you can't quite escape but you're hoping for a world you can't quite create. Think about that. You can't quite escape the world that you're in, and you're hoping for a world that you're at a loss for how to create that hopeful picture that is in front of you. That's kind of what we're addressing today, and that's kind of what Christmas and the hope that... uh, God sent in the form of a bundle, a living bundle, the best revelation of himself to date was his only son, full of grace and truth, bundled in flesh that was the hope of the world, that he was going to create for us this reality that we are incapable of creating for ourselves. And Help us to get to the place where literally, even now, not long, far away, when we finally get to heaven. No, even now, we can escape a little of the madness, escape the, the stuff that isn't quite heaven on earth, and experience and taste the heavenly kingdom, right here, right now, On earth. That's what Jesus came to bring us and we are already tasting it, already experiencing it, and he's going to fulfill it for us and that's the hope of Christmas. We're going to be looking again at Isaiah. We're going to be looking at a prophecy that, and we've already looked at several, that's 734 BC, so multiple centuries before the arrival of Jesus in that Christmas scene that we picture. And we're going to be looking at Isaiah 9, 1 through 2, and Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. So it's prophesied 734 BC, but it's fulfilled in Matthew 1, 18 through 23. Actually, we're going to discover that what is fulfilled at that point is going to be a quote from Isaiah 7. The Isaiah 9 and those prophecies are going to be partially fulfilled, but not at the birth and it'll be fulfilled as a result of the life of Jesus. And so we're going to be reading these passages, Isaiah 9, 1 through 2, 6 through 7. And then the, this lengthy Matthew passage should kind of tie things together with this ancient prophecy and the coming of Jesus. If you'd like to look it up, I'm not showing these texts on the screen right now. You can look it up and read along with me or just listen, uh, whatever you would like. I was surprised by this first one. I don't know why. I've probably read it over and over and over again, and I probably was surprised every time. And I keep forgetting, and I'm surprised again. That's age for you, you know? But this is Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. If you want to see the gloom that's described, just back up the paragraphs earlier, and the gloom is dreadful. It's the gloom of those who don't turn to the Lord for counsel, but they turn to the occult, to spiritism, to mediums for counsel in a very dark time in Israel's history, and their gloom is so gloomy, but then we open up in chapter 9 with this flip of the switch that says, nevertheless... Even with all this gloom, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee. It's like, ding, 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 surprise, surprise. It's like, Galilee? I know where Galilee is. Well, kind of, not geographically oriented. I know that basically, I mean, his ministry was there. Galilee of the nations, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. There's hope on the horizon. Here's a prophecy, and there's other prophecies in other places about where Jesus was born, and it wasn't Galilee, it was Bethlehem. And then Jesus grew up, not in Bethlehem, and not in Galilee, but in Nazareth. But his ministry began in Galilee, and here the light has dawned. Now in Galilee, even the dark people, the people that are in darkness, see their hope. And they just gather to him because the light has dawned. So that's a pretty exciting prophecy right there. Then we jump down to verse 6 and 7. And if we, if we try to picture ourselves back in 734 B.C., we, we're going to get a hold of some things in this prophecy, but then the rest of it's going to kind of elude us. It's like, wait, I don't get this unsolved mystery. I don't understand. And we kind of need to get used to thinking back then because we are so used to superimposing what we know has happened and has been declared and all the theology that's been figured out. And we, we assume everything's crystal clear back then, but it wasn't. And it wasn't until post-resurrection. So here's the prophecy in 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Just hold that thought and those thoughts, and we're going to turn to Matthew now and start reading at Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And you're thinking, what? Wait, they're they're just engaged and he's going to divorce her? Well, this is a betrothal. This is a formal arrangement. This is the Jewish way. If there was some impropriety there, the only way out was divorce to clean your name, to clear your name. But... to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah. And now they quote Isaiah 7, 14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now we're looking at prophecy and fulfillment but we're trying to look at the unsolved mysteries that are built into the prophecy that even today, and I'm I'm still running into it today, and I was shocked how frequently I ran into it when I began a preaching ministry on a regular basis to adults that are older than me. There's fewer of those now. And um, in those days, I was like, wait, you grew up in church and you didn't know this? And the mysteries of who Jesus is and how that all fits together. And so we're going to deal with some pretty deep unsolved mysteries in the prophecies and then start to figure out what these mean and how Jesus fulfilled them. So let's begin. Point number one is this. Clearly, the Messiah will deliver us. That part was clear. That part was not mystery. That was not unsolved mystery. That was so clear in the prophecy. Everybody in 734 BC knew that was what that was talking about because... For centuries now. Do you kind of get the feeling that God prepares really well? way in advance for these big moves. He always lets us know in advance what these things are and it's to build his track record with us so that we see promises and fulfillments, promises and fulfillments, and we can develop a relationship of trust for centuries for his nation. He's already fulfilled the promise of giving them a nation. They were not a nation when he made these promises, just a man and then a tribe and then a clan and then it got to be a nation after 400 years of bondage in Egypt. And then, Prophecies during King David's era was just pouring out that there was going to be a child born in the line of David who was going to be the Messiah, the one fully anointed by God. They would anoint kings, and God would bless kings to lead his nation, but there was going to be a Messiah who's going to be the deliverer who's fully anointed. That word in the Hebrew is translated into the Greek, the Christ, the fully anointed one who is going to be the king of David who delivers them like they want to be delivered, to create in them a hope that they can't quite create, to help them escape the mess that they can't quite escape from, there's going to be this Messiah that's going to deliver them. That part is very clear in the text. And it's verse 7. I'll put it on the screen for you. Here it reads he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. So David is around 1000 BC. These prophecies are pouring out through David's life and in the Psalms, um, just from memory, I could get this wrong, but Psalm 2 and Psalm 100 and a number of other Psalms as well. And right in 1 Samuel and in some of those places, there's prophecies about this coming one. And then the prophets would reiterate beyond that. So there's this growing expectation of the son of David. Now, we've been talking in previous weeks about the son of David by the name of King Ahaz, whose brilliant mind um, would stay unhooked from a, an alliance that he thought wasn't going to work, and he was going to work out his own plan to get his people free from the oppressors. But now we read about the prophecy, and the prophecy is going to fulfill them, fulfill uh, freedom from the oppressors in a completely different way. It's going to be through a child and he's going to be the king and he's going to be the deliverer. And that part was clear. Okay? Point number one, clearly the Messiah will deliver us. Point number two, mysteriously God's deliverance is connected to a child. Now we're going to look at the mystery here in the words. Of course, if there's a king... The king had to be a child. But that's like saying something so redundant, why even say it, right? But there's something that in the coming of a child, it's like you don't answer the big bully bearing down on the smaller bullies and bearing down on you with a child. But the prophet over and over again points to a child as the answer. And there's a mystery in this that we're gonna take a look at. So verse six, For to us, a child is born. Now that doesn't, usually you don't think of it that way. You know, you think of, you know, uh, to a husband and wife would say, to us, a child is born. (laughs) That sounds like so passive. It just happened to us. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. So we're going to be looking at that a bit. But this part is so mysterious, people weren't getting a hold of this. How do you put this together? And I'll tell you why it's so mysterious as we move on to point number three. So review, clearly the Messiah will deliver us. Mysteriously, God's deliverance is connected to a child. And three, who is called God. Whoa, whoa, a child called God. And that's what the prophecy is talking about. Now, that's where I would, I, I began here at this church, a little different location, when I was 31. 30 years ago. And I would run into over and over again people who were retirees, been in church all their life long. I say, Jesus is God. They say, What? You didn't know that? Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. There's the mystery. And that's the theology that you have to fit together because that's so consistent throughout the prophecies and so consistent throughout the New Testament, there's no avoiding it. And I'm going to show you some of that. And that mystery was not seen or figured out until post-resurrection of Jesus. Why would God be so unclear in his prophecy? Well, I'll tell you why. He had a plan. The plan would not have worked if it was so clear. It's like, if it's so clear that, you know, he's going to be crucified, do you think you'd sign up to crucify the guy that's calling himself God? Wait a minute. Mm. So the mystery actually is part of the plan so that... People of faith have to decide, is this guy who he says he is, or is this guy not who he says he is? And we've got to decide when he says, I am the only way to the Father, no one comes to the Father except through me, do I believe him or not believe him? And then the Jews who are uh, taught in their whole life long, there's only one God, see a man before them claiming to be God, they have to decide, does he have credentials for this? Or is this blasphemy? And it divides the way between the believing and the unbelieving, divides it so firmly that you have to be for or against. There's no neutrality. And we're still there. Okay? There's no neutrality of who Jesus is. Isaiah 9:6, as we keep reading, for to us a child is... We're going to kind of see it now. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, on the child's shoulders. What? Okay, if he's a Davidic king, that makes sense. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Okay, Mighty God. Now you can try to get around this, and here's how people try to get around it. Well, you know, kings are sometimes called Mighty God. Eh, not this phrase. Almighty God is the only Almighty God. Well, he's only called Almighty God. Well, I'm not sure you're going to get around that either. Only called? No, that's actually a pretty amazing prophecy that we're going to begin to be so convinced that we call him Almighty God. And we're going to call him not only Almighty God, we're going to call him Everlasting Father. Well, that's an odd one. We're... Clearly giving the labels to our heavenly father who is almighty, who is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. There's the unsolved mystery, the combinations as it goes between the child and the king, who is no mere mortal. Now, where I want to settle with this is right in this phrase, to us a son is given. It's like, okay... Are you just telling me it's a male-born child? Well, in Jewish culture, that would be obvious. It would be queen, not king, right? <laughs> and we're not expecting the coming queen. We're expecting the coming Messiah who is going to be the king. And that's all clear. So what's the redundancy for? Well, for to us, a child is born. That's in his humanity. Jesus Christ, in his deity, existed from forever. He's the son who is given at Christmas. He's not the child who is born in his deity, in his humanity he is born in flesh. In his existence he is the pre-existent one who said to the people who are accusing him, before Abraham was born I am. And they pick up the stones ready to stone him because he not only saying that he existed before Abraham who's 2000 years BC, he is saying he is the I am. And only God is the I am, whose self-existence is eternal and there is no leaning on this for existence. He's existent in and of himself. That's why that's a perfect name for God. I am that I am. I didn't become. I'm not born. I never was not. I just am. Everything else owes its existence upon me. And this is Jesus, the Son of God who was the Son of God with Jesus from eternity past. And so I just want to show you that the New Testament is consistent. I can't just take hours and hours to show you in the New Testament through and through, but let's just jump into some key passages. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word. Now, I'm going to go eventually to verse 14 that says, and the Word became flesh. The same the child will be born to us a son will be given to us it's the immortal imperishable eternal preexistent i am which is the logos the wisdom of god the word of god the communication of god that when god communicated and the world the universe came into existence out of nothing that communication is Jesus himself, the word. That's why Colossians says in chapter 1 that all things exist through him and he holds all things together. He is God's communication and now he's being communicated in flesh. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Put Jesus in there. Nothing's been made that has been made that hasn't been made through Jesus. That's the word that we're talking about because we're going to get there in a second. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. In who? The word. The word that was with God in the beginning, the word that is God from the beginning. Life is in him. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Can I just say, uh, I shouldn't because I run out of time when I go on these rabbit trails. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He dwelt among us. He tented. He skanied among us. He is the tabernacle tenting in our midst, Just like the Old Testament tabernacle, which was the temple of God and God dwelling in our presence in the Old Covenant. Now in this change, he supersedes the temple and later on he's going to say, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days and he's not talking about the temple that's going to be destroyed AD 70. He also talks about that. He's talking about his his temple. He is the temple who scanate among us. The glory of God in the flesh who lived among us, destroy this temple. I'll raise it up in three days, he says. And later on, he says, and the New Testament is just full of this. We are now the temple of God's spirit because Jesus says, my life will enter into you. I'm giving you another spirit. Another counselor will enter into you. This is the glory of Christmas, but it's still not seen in that manger scene. It's so humble and so hidden and so mysterious until his resurrection. It's still not understood even by the closest of followers. The Isaiah prophecy doesn't make sense yet until eyes open, hearts opened, passion ignited by the resurrection of Jesus Christ when he predicts it and fulfills it, who else but God can do all of these credentials? Raising people from the dead, walking on water, doing miracles, predicting his own death, and explaining what it all means, and he's going to give us another counselor, the Holy Spirit within us, to raise us into power and life, and give us that very thing we wish for and hope for, but can't quite create the hope for eternity with God our Father. It comes through Jesus Christ. Let's step back from the manger scene and instead of looking at just the humble beginning, see the glory of it all. This is Christmas. Merry Christmas. He loved you so much. He sent his son. And to us, a son is what? Given. Given. by our father who gave his son who he loved from eternity past he was never born to him this is an eternal relationship father son and holy spirit now don't ask me to try to explain how does that work my mind just goes boof, boof, boof. it goes like that over a lot of things how is it that we have a mind a body and a soul and we're kind of three parts and you can outlive your body <laughs> because we're made in the image of God and we experience death like Jesus experienced for us so that we could be reunited with God and raised immortal, reunited with body, soul, and spirit. Immortal. (laughs) Yeah, our logic doesn't, we do our best. There's nothing illogical about it, but how does that work? Well, how does it work when you go, Light, boom. universe, boom. and some people have a real trouble with the virgin birth. Really? That's easy. We got a virgin creation out of nothing. We can birth a child through a woman without a man. Snap. That's easy for God. God is reaching for you. He gave his one and only son. He held nothing back and gave his all. Let's just go through phrase by phrase a little bit here. Isaiah nine six. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Folks, are you kind of weary of running your own kingdom? Not quite sure how to manage this whole 2020 mess. And what do I do next? And how do I lead? It's like, ah, it's so hard to lead a church. Pfft. Duh. Why don't you just take the government off your shoulders and put it on his shoulders? Oh. Go, Jesus, go. Go, Jesus, go. This is your church. Yes. It's my church. I will build my church in the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. Amen to that. Let's put the government on his shoulders. I resign as God of the universe. I'm going to take my little kingdom and say, God, you are the one who governs it. Lord Jesus, your shoulders are broad. You are powerful. I give you my problem that I'm dealing with today. It's yours. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life. Do you need to hand some things over today? The government will be on his shoulders. Now, this is unsolved mystery when you're talking about a child. This is unsolved mystery when you're talking about things that we can't quite get. They were just thinking in terms of the Davidic king who's going to deliver them and rule the world. But it's way bigger than that. He's going to rule your life. And you have to say, you are my king. I will no longer be lord of my own life. I want you to run my life. I'm going to yield to you. I'll be a loyal subject to your kingdom with my life. I offer you my mind. I offer you my emotions. I offer you my body. I offer you myself. Let me serve you. You're going to do a much better job with me than I do. The government will be on his shoulders. The next phrase is, and he will be called, wonderful counselor. We are busy trying to solve our problems and fix ourselves and make it all happen, read how-to books and figure out self-help things. And those of us who are really brave know we can't do it, and we might go see a counselor. You might want to try the counselor I go see. He's really good. He's the wonderful counselor. I go see him every day. And you might want to see the wonderful counselor every day yourselves. I unashamedly say, I meet with my wonderful counselor every day and just lay it all out. And I humble myself before him and say, I'm messed up. Here I messed up again. And boy, it's so helpful. He just raises up the puddle that I am when I feel so inadequate and just begins to put me back together. It's so great to know he loves me that much and he's helping me. And he says, I'm going to give you another counselor, which means he is a counselor, And then the Spirit of God in me is just coaching me through the day, even when I'm not specifically saying Jesus, Jesus. He is coaching me through the day. My wonderful counselor is wonderful. I recommend him to you. I recommend that you make a commitment today. I'm going to see my wonderful counselor every day. You're missing out if you don't. He's a wonderful counselor. He is mighty God, everlasting Father. We've talked about that. (laughs) So no wonder he's wonderful. Do we believe it? And how about Prince of Peace? But let's go to Colossians first. Colossians, just uh, mighty God, everlasting Father. For in Christ, the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now you have the humanity in bodily form and you have the deity in its fullness in bodily form. The way the theologians put it is he is fully human and fully God in one being. Okay? But I believe it. Next phrase. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince... Of peace. So, what does that mean? Jesus holds the key to peace. Whether it's personal peace in your heart, relationship peace in your home, eternal peace with God in heaven, Jesus Christ is the key to your peace. How much peace are you feeling? Do you have peace in your heart? Sometimes we're busy seeking peace, squeezing a little bit of happiness into our lives, just grabbing for a little bit more to kind of cope and squeeze a little bit of happiness in because I'm not at peace, and we value things that we could buy to feel a little bit better or do to feel a little bit better. Let me just ask you, even if you have all the security that an earthly person you think needs and all the money that an earthly person thinks they need and all the happiness they think they can squeeze into a day, let me ask you, are you really at peace? Because I believe it's pretty clear that unless you have the Prince of Peace reigning over your life and it's a voluntary surrendering to him as the Prince of Peace of your life ruling over you, I'm guessing there's no amount of money no amount of happiness you can squeeze into your day, no amount of security you can build up that's going to give you that peace inside. Only Jesus, our wonderful counselor, can bring that to you. And it can only come when you surrender your life to him. He makes some audacious claims. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Whoa. Whoa. That's a huge claim. But he puts the backing behind this claim. He's causing you to have to choose. Are you going to be neutral on this one? You've seen the miracles. You've seen this. You've seen my claims. Which way are you going with this? The rest of the disciples have left me. What about you? Peter says, who else has the words of life? We're we're still following. He's the one who brings life and peace. In John 14, 27, we read, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Now, the world gives peace in all different ways, and our marketing industry is based on capitalizing on that, thinking you can just grab a little bit here, grab a little bit there. This is the peace. This is the angle. Does it work? Not really. The more you grab, the more it eludes you. I leave, I leave my peace, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He's so honest about this world and what that peace looks like. In John 16, he says, I have told you these things so that, you may, so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. So this is a peace that works in a world where you will have trouble. You can't quite escape it but he creates in you what you need. He creates in you a peace where you can cope and more than cope. You can super cope. You can be more than a conqueror, according to Paul, because of the peace and the presence of God himself in you and through you, the glory. But take heart, I have overcome the world. It's not going to remain as is. This is not a baby and a quiet, peaceful manger scene. This is king of kings, lord of lords, and lord of lives. In order for him to be the lord of your life, you have to give your life to him. Surrender your reign and control and say, not my will, your will be done. I want the kind of peace that this is talking about. Light has been sent And light is reaching for you. And that light's name is Jesus. And he's the hope on the horizon. And he keeps bringing that hope. And he's bringing it to you. And so what will you do now? Will you see your wonderful counselor make a commitment to see him every day? Will you offload something today and say, I'm I'm putting this on your shoulders. I'm trusting your governing of this. I don't know what to do with this. I'm giving it to you. In fact, take all of me. I bow down and worship you. Would you join me in that? Lord God, we thank you for sending us a child, giving us the Son of God, who came humbly and became even more humble on his journey to the cross to take upon himself all the weight of all the sins of all the world, including mine. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking it away, bearing it, taking it away, and conquering death and sin for me. Give me Please give me the full measure of your joy, the full measure of your glory in your Holy Spirit, in your forgiveness, in uniting and merging your life with mine. May I bring glory to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Merry Christmas. Enjoy your Christmas. Hope to see you Christmas Eve one way or the other. And I hope that if this has touched your heart and you would like to know more and specific steps you can take, you might participate in Start With Jesus, the, the conversation. It'll be across the hallway and in person or on Zoom and you can go to the Information Center and sign up for that. God bless you. See you soon.